Anyway, we're in this series titled You in Five Years, and I want to ask you this question. Have you ever said this before? I wish I had more time. You ever said that? Maybe, maybe not necessarily, I wish I had more time, like, alive. Maybe you've said that before. But I mean, like, really, you get to the end of a long day or maybe a long week, especially as we've gotten back into school and we've kind of finished the summer out. Have you ever, have you ever just sat down with your husband or your wife and said, man, I wish I had more time. I wish that I had more time. And I could tell you that as, as the father of three little ones that are always involved in some sort of sport somewhere, I think that all the time. I sit back and go, man, I wish that I just had a couple more hours in the day because there's so many important things that I want to do, right? I mean, you have important things that you want to do. And I sit back and I think that. And a wise pastor who had four kids, two of which were already in college, he said something that never left me. It's just always been kind of in in my brain housing group. And he said, "Um, the days are long, Brandon, but the years are short. The days are long when you're raising your children, but the years, the years fly right by. And time is the one resource that you can't manufacture. You can manufacture everything else. You can make more money, build a bigger house, have nicer cars. If you want to, you can have multiple marriages, right? I mean, if you want to, you mess it up with one kid, have another kid, right? I mean, don't do that. That's not a suggestion. I'm just saying. It's possible. Um, But... Time is the one resource you can't manufacture whatsoever. You have zero impact on it. You you can't go to the bank and ask for a loan for an extra 10 minutes. And when when we come to to the end of our life, we don't get to go to the Lord and say, God, give me another year, and he's just going to give it to you. It's the one resource that we cannot manufacture. We each have 24 hours in a day and not a second more. That means we should be wise with how we spend our time. We should be wise. I've got an example that came upon me yesterday, lucky for me. I was, uh, we've been working on a remodeling project with our stairs, and it's been a long process because I've never done that before with stairs. So ripping the carpet up, pulling all the pieces out, you know, getting ready to paint and finish and sand and all the pieces that go with that. We've left it undone for almost a month and a half now because we got so busy with the summer. And yesterday we had the opportunity to finish, to really put a dent in it because we didn't have anything on the schedule yesterday. And how many of you know that those days are few and far between? So we were like, hey, we're going to work on the stairs today and we're going to get those things done. And in the work on the stairs, a friend texted us and said, hey, I got a really cool thing that I think you guys should do this afternoon. And, you know, Leah comes to me and says, okay, I think we're going to leave around 345. And I'm like, all right, cool, cool. We're going to leave around, you know, whatever. And then I realized, I was like, man, you know, there's part of me. And this is, this is true. This is, this is part of me. Wanted to say, you guys go, I'll stay and work here. Because in my head, I only have so much time. Right, But then I thought, well, wait a second, I have the opportunity to spend time with my family and and to do this cool experience. And so I said, you know what? The stairs can wait. I'm going to go do what only I can do, and that's be dad, and that's be husband, and be a seven-year-old kid that got to ride in the Wienermobile. (laughs) I'm not even playing. You guys seen the Oscar Mayer Wiener truck? Yeah, some of the younger people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a little, it was a little Hot Wheel, and it was real, and, it was, and I didn't know it was real. 
but they had the actual truck come by. So shout out to my man, Jimmy Creamer, who is the guy, okay, he said he's watching online. He's the guy that drove us around and got to experience this amazing, cool experience with the kids, and they got weenie whistles. I got a weenie whistle, limited edition, glows in the dark, not making it up. I will show you next Sunday, it glows in the dark. Anyway, I say all that to say that this is a tension we all have to walk through because things are vying for our time. Things are pulling us in different directions associated with our time. I mean, there's no shortage of things to do, meetings to have, business to attend to. And the tension that many of us are, are, are struggling with is it's not necessarily bad things that are vying for our time or pulling us for time, right? There, there's not a football team mom this year, so you, know, you feel compelled to say yes, right? There's another big project coming on at work, and you know, it's a big deal for the company, and they've kind of mentioned it a few times, and, and you know you're the person that has the capability to achieve it, or, and, and so you kind of sit back and go, yeah, you know. There's no one on the school PTO this year, so you know, the teachers aren't going to be cared for, the students aren't going to be cared for, so we need to have somebody, so I'm going to say yes. And, and again, here's the rub, is that these aren't necessarily bad things. None of us would sit around and say any of those are bad things. None of us would sit around and say that they're not valuable at all. They're not inherently bad, but if we kind of frame the question that we asked a few weeks ago, we really need to think, is this... Given everything that I'm trying to do and have been doing, are these things or is whatever I'm about to do, is it a wise thing for me to do with my time? Not that it's good or bad. It's not a conversation of good or bad. It's, is it a wise thing to do? And in this series, we're working through this idea of becoming the you that you want to be in five years and the you that God has you to become in five years and trying to get those two to line up, but in particular, when you are clear on where you want to be and your relationship with your heavenly father and, and your, the husband or the wife or the, the mother or the father that you want to be and God's kind of been speaking to your heart and you've got it, right? You've got it. A couple weeks ago, we had an exercise that we're going to do again today uh, where you, we wrote down who we wanted to be in five years. So I want everybody to close their eyes real quick. Everybody close your eyes. I want you to think of where you want to be in five years. Where you want to be as a wife, where you want to be as a mother, as a follower of Jesus, where you want to be as a husband and as a wife and as a father, as a business owner, a leader, a coworker. Now that you've got that vision in your head, open your eyes. We discovered in week one that in order to reach that destination that we think God is calling us to, we, our decisions, they determine our destination. We learned that we need to make wise decisions. If I feel like God's calling me there, then I have to make wise decisions, which the framework we push that through is based on what I know about God, so what the scriptures tell me, where I want to end up, the, you, the me in five years, and what I've been through. What is the wise decision to make? Last week, I challenged you a little bit, and I said, you know, if we want to get where we want to be in five years, we've got to ask the question, how do I handle temptation? Do I give in to it, or do I resist it? Do I take the easy way and just say, sure, if it feels good, I'm going to do it, or if it sounds good, I'm going to do it, or do we resist the temptation in order to become who God wants us to be in five years? Where do we end up?
And today we're going to talk about the resource time. We're going to talk about how we handle our time. Because again, this is the thing everything in life is competing for. It's all competing for it. Stephen Covey said this in his book, Seven, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said the key related to time, the key is not spending time. It's investing it. You invest things that matter. In fact, when you invest in something, you check it often, don't you? If you invest $500 into a stock, you're going to check it often. It's something you're going to pay attention to. And his point is that we need to not think of it as spending time, but rather investing it. So this week, there's actually a story in the Old Testament that captures this idea of wise use of time. So for those of you that have been here for a little while, you've heard of this guy, or maybe you haven't, but his name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, to give you guys a background to the text, Nehemiah and Ezra, they were written that we believe around the same time or fairly close, and they were taken from the personal records of Nehemiah and Ezra. And this is about the rebuilding of the temple and rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. So up to this point, Jerusalem has been ransacked by Babylon, by Assyria and Babylon. They're under the, they've taken everybody away. And now Jerusalem sits completely unguarded because the walls have been completely destroyed and run down. And the temple is destroyed, which is where the presence of God was supposed to live. And the ark has been taken. It's a total, absolute mess. And everybody has been removed. So the city lays in ruins. And you've got one character, his name's Zerubbabel. He's working on rebuilding the temple. You've got Ezra, who teaches the law of God, the Torah, to the community again. And then you've got Nehemiah, who sets out to build the walls around Jerusalem. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I like to say word here when we found our spot. So if you found it, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, say word. 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 All right, so here we are. Nehemiah's prayer. It opens up this way. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, the area Jerusalem's in, with some other men. And I questioned about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So again, remember, the conquering nation took a lot of the really skilled laborers and enslaved them. But there was a remnant left behind. And so Nehemiah, understanding that he's Jewish and understanding his heritage, says, well, what does it look like where we're back home, kind of where we should be? Like, what does it look like back home? So he Sets out and he said, They said to him, Those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, Nehemiah is the narrator in this book. When I heard these things, he said, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then we get into Nehemiah's prayer, and Nehemiah's prayer is a pleading with God. God, figure out some way. I don't care how it works. I don't really care uh, specifics. Figure out a way for me to be able to go back and build the gates and the walls. And then Nehemiah says, I'm actually going to go talk to the king, but God, I need you to go before me. 
to make sure that, that you're moving in the king's heart so that I would be able to go and do this. And many of us, it's lost on us why the wall is so important, but this is a significant, significant part. Without a wall, Jerusalem will never be rebuilt because the walls are what kept the city safe. In an, in an ancient era where might made right and you took what you want and killed who you didn't like, it was simple. Walls protected cities. Gates allowed good guys in, not bad guys. And if there's no walls, the city would continue to be destroyed and raided, which was exactly what they were experiencing day in and day out. And Nehemiah says the only way we start this project, the only way that we actually rebuild Jerusalem is if we start with the walls. But there's no leader. There's nobody to head up this initiative. Now, Nehemiah takes the opportunity to speak to the king. And you got to pay attention because he had the opportunity to speak to the king because he was the cupbearer to the king. Now, we hear that and we think it's just the guy that walks around with a wine glass, you know, and you're like, here you are, your highness, right? You got the wine glass. That's not, it was that, it was also that, but it wasn't just that. It was a government position. It means you had the, the king's ear. Sometimes in some cultures, they were governors that were the cupbearer to the king. And so he had influence, he had the ear of Nehemiah, and he's right there, and he says, kind of the perfect situation opens up to where he can ask King Artaxerxes if he can go. So Nehemiah, after his prayer in chapter 2, he says this, but I said to the king, because the king looked at him and said, you are so downcast, you're so upset, you seem so frustrated. What's wrong? And instead of doing the thing that every other guy does when you ask us what's wrong, you know what I'm talking about, ladies? Like, what's wrong, honey? I don't know. Right? Have you ever got that before? What's wrong? I don't know. I'm fine. Right? Nehemiah says this. He kind of gets their attention. He says, no, no, no. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Of course I'm sad, king. My homeland is completely destroyed. The place where my mom is buried, the place where my my dad is buried, my hometown is in complete ruins. The equivalent would be like if your hometown was in complete ruins. Now, if you came where I'm from, you're not going to you're not going not going to lose a lot of sleep over that, right? But I mean, maybe you came from a place that just holds a near and dear spot in your heart. And Nehemiah says, "Hey, of course I'm frustrated." So the king said, "Yes, you can go." Nehemiah, gather your things and go. Nehemiah says, well, if it pleases the king, may I have some letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct when I arrive in Judah? And, and just, and, you know, could, could you also, may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he can give me timber to build the beams? I mean, I, I need timber to build the beams. You know how this works, king. If I just go by myself, that's not going to do anything. But can, can you leverage your resources and, and your authority to help me out? And because of the hand of, the, of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, gave them the king's letters, and the king sent an army of officers and cavalry with me, above and beyond what he asked. Now, when Sanballat the Horonite, and then Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this. 
They were very much disturbed that one that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Sambalat and Tobiah, and, uh, the, the, and these guys are bad guys. These are the guys that are living in the hill country that are coming down and destroying Jerusalem. They're profiting off of every chance, uh, off of every single raid. So they're coming down, uh, destroying pieces of Jerusalem, taking things from family members. So for them, they're kind of building a shadow government almost is what they believe, and they were leveraging it and, and oppressing people. So Sambalat and Tobiah, they hear about this Nehemiah character coming in, who's coming in with cavalry, it's horses, then coming in with, with soldiers. And they're like, hold on a second, that's going to be a problem. And then we read about it that Nehemiah comes in and he does what any good leader does. He sits down and gathers everybody. He, he oversees the entire situation. He looks everywhere and sees it all. And he goes, okay, this place is a total and complete wreck. This place is a total and complete wreck. And since this is a wreck... We're all right. We're, we're, we're going to... He casts the vision for them. He casts the vision. He gathers all the leaders together and all the people, and he says, okay, we are going to build the wall. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, he talks about building the wall, and he explains it. He says, come on, we're all going to gather together. You've seen the destruction of the temple. You've seen the destruction of the walls. You see the problem, right? He's, and everybody goes, yeah, we've seen the problem. He goes, okay, so we've got a problem then. And then he cast the vision, and they said, we're ready. Verse 18 says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied because the vision was cast. He was explaining everything. He pushes forward, and they said, let's start rebuilding. So they began the good work. And when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So they're trying to position Nehemiah against the king. They're trying to say, wait a second, you rebuild those walls, that means you're going to have a military outpost, and that military outpost, you're going to rebel against the king, Nehemiah. Nehemiah says, I ain't even got time to deal with that. I don't have time to deal with any of your nonsense. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Listen to his faith. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, listen, listen to what he says to the raiders. You have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. He fights off the criticism because they're like, you're not going to achieve this. Now, let me tell you this. Over these last few weeks, and then again this week and next week, you're going to be faced with decisions that if you want to become the person God's calling you to be in five years, you're going to have, for some of us, to make decisions on the way we spend our time, the way we handle temptations, the company we keep, and how we, you know, kind of things that affect our life. And when we do that, you are going to come against criticism. Bank on it. Bank on it. When you begin to make those decisions, you are going to come against criticism. People are going to say, why are you doing that? I mean, why would you stop drinking on Saturday night at 9 o'clock and come to, and so you can go to church? That's ridiculous, Right? That's a, that's, that's a dramatic statement. Or maybe you say, no, 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 I'm not going to go out to eat tonight, guys, because I'm saving my money. i got a goal I want to reach. I'm setting a certain amount. I'm not using the credit card anymore or something like that. And it's like, okay. People are going to say, well, what do you mean? How are you going to achieve that? And you're going to hear criticism 
all the time. They will laugh. They'll roll their eyes. You can't do it. They're going to doubt that you have the capability to become who God wants you to be in five years and who God's calling you to be. Remember last week? Remember everything that the devil tempted Jesus with? If you really are the Son of God. So again, you're going to hear it anytime you decide to make these changes. You're going to hear the criticism. You're not good enough. You're not capable. And when that happens, I encourage you to have a spirit like Nehemiah did. God is with me. I said this months ago in the Moses series, but it fits perfectly here. If God called you to it, he'll get you through it. May not be the way you want to. May mean you need to leave some of those people behind. May mean you need to say no to yourself for a little bit. May mean that he's got to do some things inside of you to get you to who he, re- he wants you to be in a few years. I didn't say it's going to be easy. In fact, look to your neighbor and say, Pastor didn't say it's going to be easy. Tell him that. I didn't say it's going to be easy. But if he called you to it, somebody just said, it ain't never easy. I mean, you rise sometimes. If he called you to it, he's going to get you through it. Again, maybe it'll be painful, but he's going to get you through it. And that's the way Nehemiah says. So Nehemiah gets to work, doesn't listen to the critics, doesn't let anything slow him down. He says, I know what God has placed in my heart. I know what is next. And that is where we are going. But the bad guys ain't done yet. How many of you know the bad guys don't ever shut up? You know what I'm talking about? Can I say shut up in church? Sure. Thank you. I just did. <laughs> Whoops. Anyway, Nehemiah in chapter 6 faces opposition here. Before, he's just got chatter, right? Like, oh, you want to be different? Sure, Nehemiah. You want to save Jerusalem? Whatever. Right? Sure. You're going to be a church person. Whatever. But then he faces a real moment where he has his, his kind of his, um, the rubber meets the road here. So he's already been, he's built the walls to this point, but the gates haven't been set yet. So he's got the walls done, and Sambalat and Tobiah are furious because now they've got guards at the gates. So now there's no more raiding straight in, and it's easy. Now they have to have a fight every time they want to come in and take something from Jerusalem. That's a problem for them, and they can't stand it. So when word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and the rest of our enemies, Nehemiah writes, that I had rebuilt the wall and had not a gap left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, this is something that wouldn't seem to be bad. I mean, Nehemiah could have easily taken this meeting. He's got the cavalry. He's got the protection. Why couldn't Nehemiah just go and have the meeting? For all he knows, they're trying to have like, okay, look, dude, you did a great job on the wall. Look, we just need to work something out economically. Could have been that. I mean, he's had time to build the wall, so time has passed. And so he goes through, but Nehemiah is not going to be distracted. He, he, he honestly refuses to be pulled in that direction. 
Now, I don't think the New International Version does this verse justice, so I like it from the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. And one of these days, I'll do a sermon on why we have so many different Bible translations, but that's not going to be today. Nehemiah, in verse 3, he said, And I sent messengers to them, saying, this is what it says in the ESV version. And this, when I read this the first time I've ever read this, because I was taught, taught it by a pastor, and when I read it, it just clicked. And it became part of my battle rhythm for the way that I speak when I'm faced with time management. He says, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. And furthermore, why should I leave and the work stop? I mean, why should the work stop while I leave so I can come down to you? Why would I do that? And then the text tells us they sent for him four more times, meaning that this is going to continue to happen. Nehemiah would not be distracted by these people. Nehemiah would not be pulled away from the vision God had given him. Nehemiah wouldn't be pulled away from what God had commanded him to do. Given the critics and all the noise and all the mess, he wouldn't be pulled away. Because why? That would be a waste of his... Somebody fill in the blank. Now, I don't want to say this too harshly, but I'm going to. In fact, tell your neighbor, say, Pastor loves you. It's going to be okay. Tell him. It's going to be okay. Listen. Sometimes you have to say no to things you want to do if you're going to reach what God's called you to do. If, if you are going to reach where God is taking you, and sometimes you've got to say no to things you want to do. And that's uncomfortable. And we don't like it all the time. Nehemiah, again, would not be distracted. And here's the thing. Again, you have things in your life like this also. Now, sure, you, you maybe they're not trying to destroy your village, right? Maybe they're not trying to destroy your city and your temple. But you have things that are competing for your time. The one resource you cannot produce. The one resource you cannot produce. Let me say it another way. You have Sambalat and Tobiah on your door saying, come meet us on the plane. Real short meeting. Not going to be very long. It's things like your career, right? You have Sambalat and Tobiah that are going to get in the way of you reaching the five-year you that God has placed on your heart. You have a Sambalat and a Tobiah. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's going to be something that's going to pull you away from being the best mother you can be in five years? Maybe it's going to get in the way of, you know, you losing weight and becoming a healthier version of you in five years. There's all sorts of things that are going to intersect. You have a Sambalat and Tobiah that are going to stop or at least create competing agendas. And here's the difference between us and Nehemiah. Nehemiah going out there was bad. They probably would have tried to kill him. But for you, again, what we talked about at the beginning is a lot of these things aren't bad. I mean, come on, being on the PTO is not bad. Be, saying yes to your kids coaching. Now, maybe you shouldn't coach all of your children's things, but like saying yes to coaching is not bad. Saying yes to the project that's going to give you more money, that's not bad. 
Saying yes to the promotion that's going to give you more money, that's not inherently bad. New projects at work aren't necessarily bad. Volunteering for nonprofits isn't necessarily bad. I mean, all the things that we are presented with, that doesn't mean they're bad. They're not like Nehemiah had Sanblat and Tobiah trying to kill him. That's the rub and the tension we run into. Is we put it on a whiteboard and we go, that's a good thing. But maybe it's just not for me. That's the struggle and that's the rub. And if you're a people pleaser, it's 10 times worse for you, okay? Me too. I'm with you, okay? I'm with you. We can have a counseling session after this and just talk about our problems when we say the word no. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But there's all sorts of things, again, that are going to vie for your time. And Leah and I realized a couple of years ago that we were just saying yes to so many things. And we were so busy, and there was, so, there was times at which I realized that I was not being the father that I wanted to be. I wasn't being the husband. I wasn't being the pastor that I wanted to be. And I recognized that there was a gap, and you've experienced this before too, the gap between who you are and who you think you are. When you see that gap, it's uncomfortable. When you see the gap between how you actually see yourself versus how you actually are, and it's a detriment, it's a problem. And it's very uncomfortable, and it's not enjoyable at all. But years ago, we came up, we heard this. We heard a pastor teach this idea of Nehemiah. And so we just straight adopted it straight from the Scriptures. And there's times when we go through something that somebody will ask me to do something or ask her to do something or a spot will need to be filled or a project will need to be done and we'll go through the process and then we'll stop and we'll recognize. We'll go, you know what? And we'll even say it. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Meaning that what I'm doing right now, I don't have to say yes to that. I, there's no requirement for me to say yes to that. Now, there are some things in your life that you need to say yes to, but some of the things we say yes to, they're not necessary. And so we just adopted it, and we'll say it. And sometimes we say it as an encouragement, and sometimes we say it as a, as a reminder. Look, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. For an entire year and a half when we were building this, this project, from the minute we started it, when we started the idea after COVID, when we started to, hey, we're going to build the church building, I mean, we sat around with the team leaders and we had it on the top of our meeting agenda. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down because there's only certain things that I can do. In fact, you need to maybe sit down and do a, an inventory and ask yourself this question, what can only I do? Is there somebody else to do that job? Is somebody else willing to do that? Somebody else came. What are the things that only I can do? Where, where is it that if I don't do it, it doesn't happen? It doesn't get done. And when we ask ourselves that question, we have a better understanding of what's going on. So I'm going to make things really easy on you guys. I'm going to, I'm going to give you um, something that you can say. And I want you to write it down because it's super important. This is something that you can say when somebody asks you to do something, when you know you don't have the time, the capability to do it. You guys ready? You ready? Say, I'm ready. Okay, here it is. Ready? No, thank you. Ain't none of y'all said that in years. And I'm with you. 
Like I said, my life was on a, on, a, on a path for a train wreck because I said yes all the time. But it's very simple. No thank you. No thank you. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, but I don't think the PTO is best for us this year. No thank you. No, I don't, I don't think I have the time to coach. I would love to, but I just, you know, I just I don't have the time with work. To, no thank you. Hey, boss, I know you offered me that project, but, you know, no thank you. When we begin to understand that we don't have to please anybody and we begin to see our time as an investment, all of a sudden, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. makes a lot more sense. When we view our time as a resource that's non-renewable, God has set this many hours and minutes and seconds for you. And how you invest in that time determines the quality of life you're going to have, the relationships you're going to have, the marriage you're going to have, the career you're going to have. And sometimes the proper response is no thank you. Because here's the thing. Other people can lead the team. Other people can coach. They can make the extra sale. They can handle the project at work. But only you can be the mother they, your kids need. Only you are going to be their father. Only you are going to be the one that's going to make the business that you set out and spent so much time on successful. Only you are going to be the wife that he needs. Only you are going to be the husband that she needs. I mean, there's so many opportunities to say yes, but there's equal amount of opportunities to say no. And unfortunately for some of us, and I'm speaking with you, I'm not preaching at you, I'm speaking with you. We have sacrificed these non-negotiables on the altar of success of busy. So in order to invest our time wisely, we want to be people that set up guardrails and recognize these things. And we need to remember Nehemiah when somebody tried to pull him away and distract him from the good work. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot In fact, say that with me. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. If you can remember that, if you can remember that, your life will be better. You'll be that much closer to reaching the you that God wants you to be in five years.